Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to Transplant's Take on Sport. My name is Lewis Daniels and my guest today is kidney transplant recipient and Lucky Stars Australia transplant cricketer Ashley Butcher. Ashley chats to me about his experience of going through kidney failure and a heart attack as well as his cricketing highlights for the Australian transplant team. I think you'll be able to take something from the determination Ashley has shown to overcome setback after setback and come through the other side to pull on the baggy green cap for Australia. If you're enjoying the podcast, please make sure you press subscribe or follow wherever you normally listen so you don't miss an episode. And if you'd like to follow the podcast on social media, all the links will be in the show notes. Ashley Butcher, welcome to Transplants Take on Sport. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. You've been mentioned previously before on the podcast by uh, Scott Fairbrass, who you've played with when he was in Australia, and you he stayed with you for a little while. So regular listeners may have heard a bit about you before and a bit about how your uh, transplant came about. But would you be able to let us all know when it was that you first found out that you had kidney problems? Yeah, sure. So I, I, I guess I kind of started feeling uh, unwell. Uh, just felt really run down, uh, probably for about six to eight months before I actually got diagnosed. And I, I'd never been sick a day in my life. I never caught a cold. Um, being a, a typical Australian male, I've never been to the doctor unless anything was broken. Um, and I just got to the point where I was run down. I was run down so much. I'd get home from work and I'd literally, all I could do was fall asleep. Um, I was losing weight hand over fist. And I was actually, uh, it was during school holidays and I was, was off with my daughter at the time. And I thought, Something's just not right, and I actually stopped in and got a um, got a blood test. Um, didn't think anything more of it. A couple of days later, the doctor's surgery called and asked me to come. I was at work at the time. They asked me to come after work to get my results. So it was about ten uh, about ten o'clock in the morning. Um, I said so. I organised something for about half past six at night. I uh, got a phone call back about ten minutes later from the doctor himself. Said, "No, you need to get uh, need to get here and get here now." Uh, so I went in um, and sort of from that. Um, from that minute onwards, I got um, put into the emergency department in the hospital, and my uh, my world came caving in from uh, from that day. So I was um, diagnosed with complete renal failure. Um, apparently, I was told if I had left it a couple of weeks, um, it would have been 
game over. So I had an emergency uh, procedure that afternoon uh, to put, um, I can't even remember the name, where they put it into your heart. It goes directly into your heart so you can dialyze directly. Um, I was on the um, dialysis, uh, dialysis machine, the hemodialysis, at um, 9 o'clock the next morning for my first dialysis. So this happened as an absolute head spin. Um, I just absolutely couldn't believe what was going on. Uh, literally the day before, I was at work and things were going along as normal. Um, so it was, yeah, it was absolutely just absolute whirlwind. Um, that afternoon, I had my first treatment of dialysis, went for two hours, and it was um, apparently it was a, a very soft dose. Um, and I was actually, I had my wife and my daughter in with me in at the hospital. Uh, we went to uh, went to the canteen to play a game of Uno, a game of cards with my daughter. And I felt like a ton of bricks fell on my chest. I thought something's not right here. So I sort of got up and said to the wife, you know, I need to go back to the bedroom. And I think my daughter at the time was seven or eight. Um, so I didn't want to show her that I wasn't right in front of her. So we sort of um, trudged my way back to the ward and got to the end of the ward and I said to the wife, said, no, don't, don't come in. And I sort of got around the corner out of view of my daughter and I, I collapsed onto the bed and um, it was just absolutely, I, I couldn't breathe. It was horrendous. I didn't know what the hell was going on. Um, absolutely. I, I was petrified. It was like, uh, it was like watching an episode of VR or something like that. There was people all around me. It was just crazy weird. Um, it hurt, but it, it wasn't super painful um and all i kept asking for i just remember i was asking for all i need is a panadol and it'll go away so panadol is a, a painkiller i'm not sure if you guys know what panadol is but it's just basically it's a paracetamol oh yeah i've heard of it um and yeah so this lasted for about five minutes and then literally that minute it just stopped um and i felt fine no worries at all and i thought oh well that was that was really weird and they they came to me the next morning and said that we're just going to send you through to i think it's an ekg you get on your heart just to make sure everything's fine um, nothing went wrong, so I'll, I'll, no problem at all. They said, look, there's nothing to worry about. There's no way you've had a heart attack. Um, went in, had the EKG. was talking to the lady who was doing it at the time. And I was sort of trying to get some hints out of her. What's going on? She said, look, I can't say anything. I've been doing this 25 years, and you're fine. There's nothing to it. Like, oh, but that's fabulous news. Uh, that afternoon, I was back on dialysis, sitting in the chair, and my doctor came up to me and said, um, yeah, you actually did have a heart attack. Um, so we're going to need to rush you into surgery again and uh, put some stents into your heart. And I said, this is all happening 36 hours previously. I'd, um, I'd been up and about and just living my life. So that evening I went in to get uh, some stents put into my heart, um, which I didn't know at the time. But they do that when you're awake. They go in through uh, a... Uh, in through a vein in through your groin um and so you're awake the whole time and i was talking to the guy and um he sort of went in that didn't feel anything at all and he's dicking around for a couple of minutes and he's kind of said no well, we can't do it you're shot you need a bypass just my as i said my world just continued to just absolutely implode i just couldn't believe what was going on so um, so yeah, then I had to get heart doctors involved and it turns out I needed a, a, um, a quadruple bypass, um, but they couldn't give me one of those cause I was that sick. I needed to go home, get well enough to give myself any chance of making it through that operation. Um, so I was on dialysis, um, every other day for about three months. 
uh, leading up to my operation. I, I was told pretty bluntly by my um, by my surgeon that there was about a ninety percent chance I w- wasn't going to make it through. Wow. Um, and about a ninety five percent chance that if I did make it through, I would stroke out on the table. Um, so I I kept saying the right things to my family, as you do. Yeah. Um, you know, we'll be right. We'll get through it. But um, it was really weird I, mentally. I. I, I remember it as if it was yesterday. I went into the hospital for a 6 a.m. Uh, 6 a.m. Monday morning operation and got there about 4 o'clock on the Sunday afternoon. Um, I'd said my goodbyes to my daughter and my wife drove me in and I, I stopped at the door as we were walking in. And it was, it was just, it was serene. I, I, I turned around, I looked outside, and it was a beautiful sunny day and um, nice setting of trees. And I sort of looked outside and I thought, well, that's the last time I'll see that. Um, so mentally, I, I, as I said, in, in, uh, to my family and all my friends and everyone who was being positive, uh, you know, I, I was saying all the right things, but if, uh, if I'm being a hundred percent honest, I, I gave it away that afternoon. I thought I'm just in a world of trouble here. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I went, um, went in and it was, I had, I think probably the best night's sleep I've ever had in my life. I, I woke up, I was relaxed. I was joking with the doctors as they were shaving me down. Um, it was, um, it was just, it was weird. And, um, I remember it's right that Sunday afternoon in the Australian rules football, my side was playing the doctor's side and we joked about it the day before, uh, my side won and we had a $50 bet and, um, <laughs> yeah, you know, he was, he's just, I'm just about to go, go under the knife and be knocked out. And I remember the, remember distinctly the last thing I said to him was don't forget you owe me 50 bucks and if I don't make it you owe it to my wife <laughs> um, and that that was that um, and in the sort of next thing I remember was waking up about a week later in intensive care and just yeah as I said I, I, I'd mentally given it away um, but I got lucky yeah I got more than lucky I had, I had one of the best surgeons in Australia um, I owe my life to him um, and then yeah, sort of recovering from there, um, my next goal was to get healthy enough to get on the transplant list. So, um, and I was off work, obviously, all this time. So uh, I got healthy enough to move um, from hemodialysis uh, to peritoneal dialysis, which I gave me the ability to do at home. And um, this sort of after three or four months, I got well enough to actually go back to work, which is good work. were really accommodating and really looked after me well. I sort of went back part time to start with, and then full time, and sort of juggling, juggling full uh, time work with having to dialyze three times a day was difficult. But we sort of worked our way around it, and um, I got the phone call on the morning of the twenty third of April, twenty fifteen. Um, was uh, about quarter to seven in the morning, and I was on my way to work. Actually, I just pulled up to the car park of work, and um, that time of day, I, I don't do mornings well. I really, and I never have. Um, so I was honestly, from being honest, I was still three quarters asleep, even though it was about a half an hour drive from my house to work. Um, I got a phone call and I sort of was only half listening. Um, it was actually as I was opening the door and turning off the alarm to where I was working and you know, it was, um, it was Dr. Manaham, the, the phone, the uh, voice on the other phone said it was Dr. Manaham from the Alfred hospital. And, um, you know, what are you doing right now? Um, and I'm like, I'm just opening up at work and not because I'd only been on the on the uh, transplant list for two and a half, three months. So, and I was told, yeah, I was told I'm going to be waiting three or four years. 
Um, and then he said, well, you know, best you get over here. We've got a, got a kidney for you. And that I sort of woke up right there and I thought, well, hang on, that, that can't be right. And I thought it was one of my mates from the cricket club just you know, giving me a little bit of shit, you know, trying to wind me up. And I'm like, look, whoever this is, there's, there's a time to have fun of games and I'm, I'm big on practical jokes, but there's some things you don't mess with and this isn't right. And I said, probably said a few words I shouldn't because I thought it was one of the boys and <laughs> having some fun with me and... Yeah, Dr. Manahan interrupted me very quickly and said, Ashley, you're actually on speakerphone in the uh, in the boardroom uh, <laughs> with, with the transplant team, uh, who the selection team, and again, this is not a joke, this is real, and he, he asked, you know, how was I feeling? And it was funny, I, I'd actually, I'd woken up with a cold that day, so I had a, I had a stuffed head and I was a bit uh, nasally, and I thought, well, this is actually real, I'm not telling this, I'm, so I just lied through my teeth, and so I'm feeling fantastic. I'm up and about and he's like well how long do you get here and I, I sort of thought well I was about an hour away from the hospital but I sort of thought for this opportunity um, I'm going to drive through every red light and break every speed limit to me and I said I'll be there in 20 minutes <laughs> and he said no looks all right so the, the kidney was coming from interstate um, so I had a couple of hours so I, I then, um, you know, it sunk in and I, I was standing there. I, I just, and I absolutely froze. I just didn't know what to do at the end of the phone call. And one of my guys who worked with me came in about 15 minutes later. Uh, I was just standing there in the showroom at work. The alarm was going off. I hadn't turned it off. Um, I didn't even hear it. I, I just, I couldn't think. Um, and he came in all worried, you know, what's going on? I told him, he's like, what are you doing here? Leave. And so I, Let's go. He's going, where are you going? I said, I'm going straight to the hospital. He goes, well, no, you've got, have you called your wife? And, you know, you've got time. So I, I sort of got in the car and I thought, right, I'll go home. Because I still I still had a um, peritoneal bag in me that I had, to, I had to drain out. So I thought, I'll go home, drain that out. Uh, I called the wife on the way home who was just about to take the daughter off to school. And I sort of told her the news. And she was as stunned as I was. And her first reaction was, well, well, you can't. Uh, I go, what do you mean you can't? She goes, well, we haven't decided. You know, we haven't discussed what's going to happen. You know, how are we going to handle it as you go in the hospital? And I sort of said, yeah, with all due respect, love, I don't give a <laughs> what you do. <laughs> Just, I'm going to be in the hospital in an hour and a half and I'll wake up in a week and the world will be different. So we sort of dropped, got home and gave my daughter a kiss and she went off to school and uh, the wife and I trudged into the hospital and um, we got there and Sat down and waited, and the, the the doctor sort of came around the corner about an hour later, and with a fairly grim look on his face. And I'd heard about people being let down for whatever reason and false alarms. And he's come into the room. He's going, "Look, I'm really sorry. I've got some really bad news for you." And I'm, my heart broke. I just couldn't believe it. He's gone, "Yeah, the um the helicopter's been delayed two hours." I'm gone, that that's it. I I mean, I have to wait another two hours. So this is still on. So. Yeah, and then so I, 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 I wanted to punch him in the head. I was just, I, you know, I was so up, then so down, and then so up again. I, yeah, my emotions were fairly, fairly all over the place. So, um, so we're sitting there for another couple of hours, and we're chatting away, we're reading the paper, playing some cards or what have you. And then sort of a nurse came up and said, "Oh, we better give you a chest X-ray, um, just to make sure you're all clear." And as I said, I had a cough and a hell of a head cold that I've been doing my very best to hide my sniffles and my sneezes and what have you. And I thought. God, this is going to show that I'm, I'm not feeling 100% well. <laughs> so I got really nervous then. So I, I went down to the, um, went down a couple of floors into the x ray room. And it was, a, as I said, it was a chest x ray machine. And they sort of, for whatever reason, they wanted me to hug it so they could get a better 
they tried my chest. So I, I was hugging it, and they were just. And I, as I said, I was I was sweating bullets. I was that nervous that they were just about to uh, they were just about to take the shot. And then I sort of look over my over my right shoulder, and about twenty people come barging in the room, running to me. It's it's here, it's here, and they all got people tearing my clothes off me. Somebody else jabbing stuff into my arm just to get me ready to go under and. It was, it was, man, it was mayhem. And they're like, we've got to go, we've got to go, time, time, time. And I thought, well, at least now they won't catch me out that I'm not feeling well. So that was, uh, that was, I guess that was a win. I'm like, well, can I at least say goodbye to the wife? And they're like, no, there's no time for it. So but uh, slept under the um, slept under the bed and wheeled up. And luckily that got my wife and met me as I was entering in the theatre. And um, it's my, my adrenaline was pumping 100 miles an hour and, um, they sort of, they're like, I get into the room and there's people screaming at the anesthetologist, you know, get him under, get him to sleep. We've got to go, we've got to go now. And he's going, right, he's got all the, all the lines whenever you start counting backwards from 10. So I've been through one or 2000 operations along the way. So, you know, you sort of, I remember always getting to seven and that's it. And so I start off 10, nine, eight, seven before I know it, I'm at one and I'm as bright as a button. I couldn't believe it. I'm, and they're like, what's going on? Why is he still, why isn't he under? He's like, he won't go. His adrenaline is too high. And, and, and the anesthetist come to me and said, mate, you've got to calm down. We can't knock you out. And I said to him with a little colourful language that I won't use in respect to your podcast, Lewis, but I said, mate, I don't care if you had to you have to hit me over the head with a frying pan. Knock me the hell out. <laughs> I need to get to sleep now. Um, so anyway, eventually that happened. And um, again, same thing. Sort of two days later, I woke up... Uh, in the um, in intensive care, and I had a kidney that it was I was just been blessed with it since day one. I have not had an issue. It woke up two hours after uh, after the operation. I was passing urine straight away, and it was um, yeah, it was hands down to this day still the greatest time of life. It was just and it changed me as a human. And uh, yeah, it's um, yeah, I've, I've been lucky ever since. I have not skipped a beat. It um, touch wood. It's it's yeah, the the best thing. To, to happen to me personally it's just yeah been amazing an amazing trip it's such a special feeling to receive a kidney i didn't want to break your flow with that i wanted to just let you go through and and tell your story but the determination you've shown is unbelievable because you've from the start when you first went in to hospital you've had blow after blow after blow and then you've got through setback setback and then eventually you get that kidney how did you process everything that was happening and in, in what you've said is such a short amount of time as well not not well if I'm be, if I'm being honest, um, I, I just couldn't believe it. As as you said, it was just blow after blow after blow. Um, just it, I just never got any good news early doors, uh, and everything was getting worse. Um, and psychologically, I I struggled beyond belief. Um, I, I did a really good I did a really good job of keeping a you know. A, a, a happy face and a, and a happy exterior, but internally I was I was struggling. Um, I've always been a sort of a man's man that you, you, know, you take things on, you don't show your emotions. But I, I'd find myself in the dialysis chair just breaking into tears. Um, it's just I, it, it was as low as I've ever been. I started having some really really dark thoughts about life and what life looked like moving forward, and if it was actually worth the fight. Um, I'm being honest, I wouldn't have. I, I got to a point where actually, and I, I couldn't believe it that I actually made a conscious decision that I, I'd I'd get to that point where I'd have to make a conscious decision about whether there was going to be a tomorrow. Um, mm-hmm. I, 
I was un- very uneducated at the time. Um, I kind of thought people who sort of took that option were mentally weak. Um, and I just couldn't believe it was me who was there in that position. Having I was sitting in my car one night after dialysis and actually consciously making that decision. I, I thought if it, if it was just me, um, I think... I think the decision may have, yeah, things may have panned out a, a little differently. Um, but I always have and always will live for my daughter. Um, that was my that was my saving grace, um, that I didn't want to leave her um, without knowing that I gave. If I had to leave, I had to leave. Um, but I wanted to give it, a, you know, give it as, better, as best a fight as I could along the way. So um, so it was difficult. It was, it was bloody hard. It was mentally hard. I had some... Just some wonderful support people, um, friends who I who I never. I, I was never. I've, I've always had a lot of friends, but never been extremely close to people, with the exception of my family. Um, but I had one friend, um, Cassandra, who just um, to this day is one of my closest friends. Helped me out mentally. Just, just she had some family experience in the transplant community, and she would come and spend time with me in dialysis. And that was, um, you know, I, I, I can't thank her enough to this, to this day. She, I, and I've told her to her face, I credit her with saving my life. Um, and I also got some professional help um, from a lady at dialysis um, who was an absolute godsend. And again, I always saw people who needed that kind of help um, were mentally, you know, weren't, weren't up to it. But, um, you know, having been down that path, it, my eyes are, well and truly been opened and um, that you, you can't get through it, these things by yourself. You've got to ask for help. You've just got to. Um, yeah, so it was difficult, but um, as I said, towards the end of it, just it was just good news after good news after good news. And mm. since, that, since that day, everything's been onwards and upwards, mate. It's uh, been an absolute pleasure. How important has it been to talk to other people about it throughout, as you said, for the, the mental side to keep your head up and keep going? Yeah, yeah. Um, Early early doors, I, I wouldn't speak to anyone about it, um, with the exception of my wife. Um, and even still, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't speak to her about it. I would just, I'd, I've never been an emotional person, but I would, I would break down in front of her, and I'd never ever done that ever. Um, but I couldn't express what I was going through, uh, and she was struggling as well. So I didn't want to put that on her any more than what I had to. Um, but as I, as the further I got into the journey and so the dialysis nurses, um, were really good in helping me talk, myself, yeah, talk anything through. Um, as I said, I had some professional help, uh, from a lady, Joanne, who I'm still in touch with today. Um, who was just, just an amazing human being. Um, Cassandra, who I've spoken to many, many times and just lent on her from experience and what tomorrow looks like. Um, you know, I've been fortunate with some you know, absolute top knot. You, you really, they, these kind of situations, you really find out who your friends are, um, rather, who your absolute tight mates are rather than just your friends and associates. Um, and I've been really blessed that I know you know who, who I can count on when things are at their worst. Um, so yeah, I owe a lot of people a hell of a lot and yeah, that's with the, with the gift that I've been given I try and pay that back every day every day and try and live my best life and you know, that that's yeah that's all like that's the only way I can repay it in all honesty I don't know any other way I think you're spot on there it's so important to talk and then you do become a lot closer to people when you go through the hard times and you get through the other end and everyone you can see how happy other people are 
that you've come through and that you're still there and you can enjoy the time you're spending together. And you mentioned dialysis there. We've talked about it before on the podcast and we've talked through the different types. But for those who haven't listened to any others, would you be able to briefly explain the two types of dialysis? Yeah, so I started off on hemodialysis, which is they basically um, keep churning your blood through a machine. They take and recycle your blood through and get out all the uh, get out any liquid that you have because you you, know, you lose your ability to get rid of liquid. So it takes weight off you and it, it cleans out all the bad stuff. That's not a great technical term, but yeah, you know, just it takes the crap out of your blood, so you actually feel better. Um, that was for me. I would do that. I think by the time I was finished, I was on a four and a half hour cycle. So you sit there in a, in a chair on a machine for four and a half hours. Uh, I was lucky to get into the closest one to home, which was only five, 10 minutes down the road. Um, so I got in the six o'clock uh, to midnight shift. So that was that was really difficult when I was working. Um, I sort of nicknamed it God's waiting room because you don't live in that room. You just you just avoid dying uh, and everyone in that room avoids dying. There is no living. Um, it's a hell of a depressing place. Um, it really, it really tests you out uh, mentally. If, um, if you're not armed, if you're not armed to, to actually fight, then that place will take you down. Uh, I did that for six or seven months. Um, so we had, uh, 15 chairs and I think we in my six or seven months we we had four or five people who um, for one reason or another um, who passed on whether it be um, through the disease getting them or um, you know, that, that they mentally couldn't get through it and they decided to take matters into their own hands um, so the, the day I went to um, peritoneal dialysis where uh, it's, it's basically, it's a fluid exchange 24 hours a day. Um, that was the day I actually started living again. Um, my fluid restrictions were off. You, know, you don't realize how hard it is when you're on hemodialysis. I think I was on uh, 120 mil of fluid a day. It's not a lot. Especially living in Australia, in an Australian summer where it's 40, 45 degrees during a day and you um, you have to learn how to sip and make, make sure that's enough. So that was difficult. But being able to do hemo... Um, sorry, being able to do peritoneal at home um, was an absolute godsend. Um, I was able to go on holidays again. We went, uh, we went on a, a holiday on a cruise ship, and you know, the um, the people who supplied all the chemicals they got it all on the boat for me, and it was I felt three quarters human again, and I was prepared to do that for as many years as it took. Um, it would mean look, it was limiting, but. Compared to where I was under under hemodialysis, it was the the freedoms were just amazing. So um, to do that uh, and to have the opportunity to do that, um, that was fantastic. Uh, made my life a lot easier with work. Uh, I could sort of get back to trying as, as close to real with work as I could. Um, so yeah, it was um, yeah. It's it's I actually I think about it. Yeah. On those nights where you can't get to sleep and you look at the roof and you think, what happens if you get that phone call again and your kidney starts playing up and I have to go back? Could I go back to mentally? Could I go? Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. 
They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Back to it. Um, I mean, you don't have a choice, of course. You're going to go back to it, but yeah. um, you know, it's it's certainly nowhere I want to rush back to, mate, because it's it's bloody hard yards, mate. It's 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 a it's a hard life. I feel very grateful that I managed to avoid that because you hear stories. Some people absolutely love it, and the fact they can live their own life with they live the life with it. Some people really do struggle on dialysis because the the restrictions that you might have. Again, I can't talk from experience, but I've listened to other people and their experiences with it. Well, my dad, my dad passed away about eighteen months ago. He was on dialysis for about um, fifteen or twenty years, and on on hemo the whole time. And um, I I didn't I certainly didn't pay it enough credence until I actually had to walk a mile in my dad's shoes. Um, and what he did for that, to be able to mentally be able to do it for that long, um, was nothing short of heroic. What he did for our family for hanging in for so long, um, because I, I don't know that I've got that in me. I don't know that I could have done what my dad did. Um, so yeah, he um, yeah he passed uh, December of nineteen um, after a long battle. Um, but uh, twenty years in dialysis was a, a bloody massive effort. It's a long time. Yeah, he, his his disease had his and mine were not related at all. Dad was um, uh, he had chronic kidney disease uh, from, and he knew he was going to end up on dialysis for many, many, many years out. Um, where I got lucky enough to just catch a virus, uh, and that's that sort of that was the beginning of my story. So, 
Yeah, so it was, um, but any, yeah, dialysis isn't, isn't something I'd wish on my worst enemy. It's, um, as I said, it, it's bloody, it's God's waiting room is what I, what I call it. Um, you're not living, you're just not dying. That's all you're doing. Let's move on to your sport which and my sport as well, which is cricket. Yes, mate. When did you first start playing and has it always been your main sport? Yeah, it has. Yeah, I started playing, um, goodness me, what am I? So 37 years ago. As a as a eight year old, um, started following my dad around playing cricket, um, and just all I wanted to do was be dad um, and play like dad. So I followed him everywhere, and I finally got old enough to play in under twelves. And I, I still remember my first game of under twelves. It was possibly the at that up to that time the happiest day of my life. And I went out in under twelves, faced my first ball, first game of the year, and I opened the batting. I faced the first ball, hit my first ball for six. Um, I thought, well, how easy is this game? And we played 14 games that year, and my season aggregate was six. I I done my 13 ducks to follow after that six. (laughs) But, uh, uh, yeah, no, I played that since I was, uh, yeah, since I was eight or nine years old and absolutely loved it. I played a lot of other sports around. I played volleyball and basketball and tennis, football, Australian rules football and all different kinds of sport. But um, no, cricket was absolutely my live and die passion. So what sort of standard were you playing at growing up and then into adulthood? Ne- never a, a very high standard. I'd, I'd like to say, you know, it was, um, as, as I think I got as much out of my absolutely limited amount of talent that I could. Um, I certainly played a lot of junior representative cricket. Um, I played a lot of, as in local leagues, I played, um, first grade cricket for best part of 15 to 20 years over three separate clubs. Um, but I, look, I was never more than just you know, a, a good average cricketer, um, despite if you had have asked me in my mid-20s when I was a little more full of myself and a little more brash, I would have told you that I'm very unlucky to not, not, not to be playing test cricket. But um, the reality is I'm, I was just a cricketer. Um, my uh, Certainly my... My ambitions didn't quite weigh up to uh, weigh up to my uh, my own thoughts and my ability. Let's put it that way. <laughs> I mean, as long as you're enjoying it, I think that's that's the main thing. And exactly, and meeting people. And that's 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 the reason why up until this year, I've just retired from cricket in the last three weeks, simply because I'm just not ready to give away my cricket mates. Yeah, it's just it's been that hard. But I'm a broken down old man with no skill. That makes it very hard to to get up every morning and um, go through the aches and pains and keep producing nothing and want to go and go and do it again so but uh no cricket's cricket's my life absolutely love as in in sport i absolutely love cricket and watching it and playing it and i can't doesn't matter what country it is or what what it's on if it's on the telly i'll watch the uh, bangladesh and premier league it, it doesn't matter i'm just bloody addicted to it much to my wife's chagrin so you mentioned that you you opened the batting on your first game have you always been an opening batsman no no they uh so i've always been a uh a, 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 a lightning quick left arm opening bowler who I knew how to hold, um, you know, to hold the bat, but I was always been a lower order cricketer until I've got older. Um, and I don't bowl anymore, mainly through, mainly through, um, the issues I've got through my kidney disease and it just doesn't allow my body to do that anymore. So I've turned, had turned myself into, uh, an opening batsman. Um, and because, you know, and a, and a wily off spinner. Um, but no, as in my prime, my cricket, I was a, a, a left arm opening bowler. We've spoken about your transplant already. How close to your transplant were you able to play? I know that I got to about, I think it was about eight days before I played, not to a great level. 
it was hard to run in and bowl and run to the boundary. But how close could he get? So I um, I just came off the back of a season. So our, our season finished in early March, um, and I played that whole season. And I went into hospital in Mar- in late March. Um, but it was I'd sort of I, I try I did a really good job looking back on on it, um, hiding how sick I was. Yeah. So at, at, at training or during a game, I, I'd sort of I'd bowl. Say I'd open the bowling bowl five or six overs and tell the skipper I'd have to go off to go to the toilet and I'd go into the toilet and literally co- collapse and I couldn't breathe and it was just yeah it was but I, I didn't let anyone see that I just you know, I spent a lot of time off the ground and at training I'd be behind the sheds throwing up and it was just uh, it was hard work but I love cricket too much to not do it um, but yeah it certainly didn't help my cricket at all that's for sure. Do you think the social side of it was important leading leading up to your transplant and having that time with your mates from cricket. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, the main, and that that um, is probably the main reason that I, I have uh, continued with cricket for as long as I have. Um, whilst I never, whilst I was never a great cricketer, uh, I was good enough to play with my mates for as long as I possibly could. So, um, so yeah, that that's always been my main main motivation is to play with my mates and share some success along the way. And after your transplant, uh, how long did it take you to get back up to fitness and return to playing again? Uh, I, I played. So my transplant was in April, um, and we so we sort of started our season October November. Um, I came back and I did pre season, um, but I, I found I was absolutely petrified. Um, I just didn't want to get hit. I was just I can understand mentally wasn't ready for it. So I, I sort of sort of walked away for a bit um, and 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 watched. But the, the bug got me. That sort of like well. Yeah, at the end of the day, God gave me a bat, so don't let yourself get hit. And yeah, to, to this day, I haven't been hit anywhere around near the kid where the, my new kidney is. So grateful for that. Um, but yeah, the bug. I mean, rea- reality is, I, I should have worn a pad, and I didn't. Never have. Um, reality is, I've been lucky to get to the point where I have to not been hit around it. Um, but I'm, yeah, I'm a little bit jittery. If I've got somebody with you know who's a little bit quick and who might be able to hurt me, I'm sort of make sure there's one piece of my body to get out of the way pretty quickly, um, which has probably been detrimental for my game. But I don't play Test cricket; I, I play lower grade country cricket, so it's not life and death. So you mentioned protection there, and that you don't wear a pad. Regular listeners will know that a question I ask a lot, and we talk about a lot on here is protection for sport and particularly with cricket because of the speed that the ball can come and how hard it is and how focused the impact would be if you did get hit. And I, I wear uh, a chest guard myself. Uh, we've had people wearing different things, boxing guards. I think Lee said in I think the fifth episode I did, he used to wear something doesn't anymore. And he now turns his back if he feels like he's going to get hit and just takes it on his back rather than the kidney. Have you got an evasive strategy or a move that you do to get out the way of the ball? Uh, basically run as quickly as I can to square leg. I'm being facetious here. <laughs> no, I, the, the same thing. If, if you get yourself into a position, I've always been a fairly decent back foot player. Um, but if I get myself into a position where I'm struggling, I will just turn my back into it. I'd rather wear it on the back. Uh, I do everything, yeah, sort of do everything I can to try and protect it. Um, subconsciously, you're always thinking about it. Um, but I, I guess, you know, if, if you're batting well enough, as I said earlier, God gave you a bat, hit the bloody thing. <laughs> um, so, yeah. 
Uh, speaking of, of protection and cricket gear, if anyone would like any high quality premium uh, cricket gear, you can go to neoncricket.co.uk. Have a look around on there. They've got bats, pads, gloves, the whole the whole works, uh, whole range. If it's just something I like, you can add it into your basket, and then when you get to the checkout, you can use the code LewisD25, and that will get you 25% off everything on the website. So if you do want any any cricket equipment for the new season, which hopefully we're going to get to play, uh, it's LewisD25 at neoncricket.co.uk for 25% off. I've, since your transplant, uh, you became part of the Lucky Stars Australia transplant cricket team. When was it that you found out about that? It was funny. I, 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 after my transplant, obviously, you, you're high as a kite on drugs for a few days. And uh, it was on the about three days after my transplant, a gentleman walked into my room and started talking as if I'd known him for 15 years. And he started talking about he'd, he'd actually just come from the football and um, talked to me about my family and, and how we're going to play cricket moving forward. And I sort of said to him, I had to stop him after about 10 minutes. I said, Look, I, re- I hate to be rude, but mate, who the hell are you? Uh, and it ends up it was Kevin Green, who's uh, certainly a, a very big personality over here within the transplant community. And um, I mentioned my friend Cassandra earlier, so she'd organised for him to come in and see me. Uh, he was, was the, the uh, state captain of um, the Lucky Stars uh, organ, donor, organ uh, re- transplant recipient team. Um, and he signed me up there and then and said, right, you have to get fit for... Uh, uh, November. I think we had our first game back in November, and um, no ifs or buts. He expected to see me up there, and that was the that was the beginning of my journey. It was, um, yeah, it was uh, was was quite weird. But looking back on it now, knowing Greeny a hell of a lot better than I did back in those days, that that's Greeny all over it. Um, he just sort of came in and barged his way into my life and didn't give me a choice, and <laughs> onwards and upwards we went. So, how long have you been playing for them? Uh, so since um, 2015, so six, six years now. So we've um, we, we play we play anywhere from say four to four to seven games across the country over any given calendar year, or over any given Australian summer, which is, is over two calendar years. Um, we play all around the country, and um, yeah, I've had the had the joy of actually coming to England and playing on an Ashes tour, and. Um, we played in Queensland and New South Wales and South Australia and some beautiful cricket grounds and um, some beautiful places and all the time trying to promote our message of about organ donation and um, you know trying trying to live your life trying to live the best life we can as as we sort of move through it. I think again, this what I've found since joining the England team is that you're meeting people who have been through the same experiences as you. They understand what everyone's going through, and you're all coming together to play the sport you love and ultimately the main goal, raise awareness for organ donation. That That's exactly right. And that it is, as you said, we're, we are, whether it be we've got guys who have had cornea transplants, liver transplants, all kinds of transplants. Um, and, you, you know, you, you just you just know what each other's been through and there's, there's an under, unwritten respect for each other, even as much as it pains me, unwritten respect for when we were playing against the Poms for the exact same reason we've all been we've all been in that path we all we've all looked at our demons in the face and we've all come out the other side and we just know it's it's a game of cricket and we're just absolutely blessed each and every one of us to be, have that opportunity as you mentioned there about playing against england and wales how did it feel to play in what was an ashes series surreal um the only word i can use is surreal i i, I uh 
I, I remember we, we uh, and I'm, I'm, you'll have to forgive me, I'm terrible with names as to the places where we were in England, but uh, I remember we'd, we were two days off the plane and we turned up for our first game of cricket and I, I just had to stop and pinch myself and I sort of, I took my hat off and I'm wearing a baggy green hat with Australia on it and it's like, I, I can't believe what I'm doing where I was two years ago to what I'm doing now. It's just, it was just surreal is the only word I can use. It's just amazing to get that opportunity and, you know, you, I, I won't lie to you, man. I, I've, I've bagged, I, you know, I've used I've bragged the hell out of it to everyone I know. I've got a baggy green, have you? And so no, no one I know has got a baggy green. So um, yeah, it, it was immensely proud and uh, uh, had an absolute ball. Um, got to play against one of my very, very close mates and um, met some wonderful, wonderful human beings. Um, and I'm also met people like Dave Parker, who you couldn't put in that kind of category. So, uh, <laughs> cheerio, Dave. <laughs> Dave will be on soon. Yeah, of course he will. Of course he will. <laughs> how, did, how does it compare playing against England to making your debut in the, the first game you played for the Australian team? Um, I, look, you, put you, it on the bag you, of green for the first time. Yeah, it was. <laughs> So uh, you, you mentioned earlier uh, that I, I do have a long-standing relationship with Scott Fairbrass, and uh, we, we'd been talking about this. It was amazing that we've been both been through a very similar journey in such a, a close time frame, and and we'd been uh, as much as we can from different sides of the planet, just for the six from six months out, just been giving it to each other over social media to the point where. Few times people had had to interject, um, thinking that it was serious. There was a large problem, and Scott came out to bat in the, the first test matches, opening the batting, and I was opening the bowling. And I bowled the first ball at him, and sort of ran run past his outside edge, and proceeded to head down the pitch, Mitchell Johnson style, and just give it to him <laughs> both barrels um, with the kind of language you wouldn't use on your worst enemy, and he was giving it back as well, and. The poor bloody umpire who thought he was coming for a lovely charitable social day, he sort of had to gone in, gone in between us, and he's like, "What's going on here?" And this isn't how cricket's played. And uh, we sort of had to um, both Scott and I were just going at each other quite verbally the whole time. We had to reassure the umpire that no, we're you know it's like for for me and for him, we, it's, I, I consider Scott to be like a brother to me. So to have the joy and to know what the journey would both been on for us to both be able to do that was uh, probably my favourite cricketing memory. Um, but, yeah, we, we sort of had to explain ourselves that you know, we didn't pull any punches with each other along the way and uh, and the, um, the, the gentrified English county scene um, probably wasn't ready for my rude, crude Australian-ness. <laughs> well, I mean, every week I ask for some list of questions from from people on social media. So if you'd like to get any questions in, you can follow uh, Transparts Take on Sport on Instagram and Facebook at Transparts Take on Sport Pod and Twitter at TTOS Pod. So I I put a post out yesterday asking for questions for you. And I suppose in a bit of a special feature this week, uh, we're going to do some quick fire listener questions. So short answers if possible. Uh, of and this time... All the questions have come from our mutual friend, Scott. <laughs> but of course I have. Are you ready? Please. Uh, question one. How did it feel watching Scott dominate both games in the Ashes? Don't remember it. 
Question two. How did it feel to give him so much stick and he still scored back-to-back centuries? Not sure that he did. <laughs> Question three. Out of ten, how beautiful was Scott six straight over your head, <laughs> over the road, and trees off your bowling? <laughs> it was about a twelve. It was some bloody good hit. <laughs> He'll take that. You'll need, you'll need to edit that out, though, please. <laughs> <laughs> Question four. How did it feel when we rocked up to... I hope I pronounced this right. Muraduk. <laughs> yes, Muraduk. Very good. Yes, yes. In 40 degree heat, having rolled in at 5am from Voodoo and the skipper elected to field. <laughs> we were, we were, so Scott played some cricket out here with me um, at our local club and he uh, he actually ended up coming to live with me and I was a, a young single man at the time and Friday night was Friday night and as he said, we went out to a club called Voodoo and doors shut at about two o'clock and um scotty and i lived in a house alone it was like well we might as well ring the club home so it was by the time we kicked everyone out it was about quarter past six uh we headed down to muraduck which is a picturesque pretty little little ground um first delivery of the day um scotty bowled one scott had some back in those days had some wheels on him uh bloke uh had a cut shot top edge down to third man um one of our uh, fine cricketers uh, wasn't switched on for the p- first pill. Hit him in the nose and dropped him. Uh, and then uh, about 15 overs later, they were none for 200. Um, Scott got hit for about 180 of them, including one that only landed just about last week. He got hit that far. It was the biggest hit known <laughs> to man ever. Uh, and I still take great joy in reminding him every single time I drive past Miraduck. I'll uh, stop and take a little photo and flick it through and and go, home sweet home, buddy. So. <laughs> uh, question five, uh, love you really. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, look, uh, as much as as much as much um, people who know both Scott and I will know that we go back and forth over social media, I'm immensely proud of Scott and who he's, the, the bloke he's turned into. Um, I'd consider him like a brother and, um, but he's probably one of those brothers who you don't in- invite to Christmas and you don't like to talk about. <laughs> it's a great story, the fact that you both played with each other in Australia when he was over there. And then you've both had kidney transplants. You've both played for your respective national transplant teams and you both played against each other. It's a, a really nice story that brings it all together. Yeah, it it, it really is. It's, it's surreal how it happened. Um, the, the, fact, the fact that I, Scott actually introduced me to social media. I was I've never in any social media at all. Um, I actually joined the day after I got my transplant. Uh, I joined social media at his bequest. Um, and yeah, it was uh, since then we've been going at it absolutely hammer and tongue. And, and uh, we, I, I would, I would be in touch with Scott, you know, sort of pre-transplant maybe once or twice a year. Um, but now I would speak to Scott, whether it be um, either Messenger or Skype calling him three or four or five times a week. Um, he's just an annoying little brat who won't leave me alone. Uh, <laughs> it's all, almost to the point of being stalked by him. Um, and I don't like him and I feel sorry for his family. <laughs> Louise, if you're listening, you can do better. We, we talked about this earlier, the social side of cricket before you transplant. How important has the social side been especially with the, the transplant cricket team, because you all know what each other's been through. Yeah, it, it's, it's there is a bond. Uh, there's an unspoken bond um, and just some wonderful people. And 
bad people. How do I, I'm trying to think of the best way to put this, Lewis. People who enjoy life and want to go out and live it and are appreciative for everything they've got get involved in actions like this. Yeah. There's, there's no people who look down on life who get involved in this. So it's always, whether it be a transplant recipient or any one of our, um, any one of our ambassadors through the club, it's just an absolute joy and a pleasure because everyone, everyone's coming to do the right thing and spread our message and celebrate the fact that we're, we're alive and we get this opportunity. It's yeah, fantastic. Like a family feel. It is absolutely. It is absolutely. It is, and we're we're in a very big country, mate. And we uh, we've got people who have made lifelong friendships with all over our country. Um, who I can sort of I can ring up anyone today and say, hey, "Look, I'm I'm coming up. You know, I can go go up to Queensland and I have a myriad of places to stay at. No questions asked. Same things. They would come down to where I, I'm in Melbourne. They come down and no questions asked and put them up. That it, it is a family. It's um. We're truly blessed to, to have each other in each other's lives. A couple more things before we go. It's been a pleasure to speak to you today and get your your story and talk cricket with you. I mean, you've you've slightly mentioned this earlier. What are your greatest moments with the Lucky Stars Australian Transmat Cricket Team? Uh, hands down, without a shadow of a doubt, um, is the England tour. Um, has been, was just amazing. Met some amazing human beings. Um had the joy of meeting some amazing human beings who were even English, which you'll find hard to believe. Um, but it's, it's been um, it's, to have, to have that ability to get us treated as, as well as we did. And the camaraderie out there and if it was, I, I grew up and to, uh, to me, the Mecca is playing cricket in England. I was never talented enough to get that opportunity as a, if I, if I can use the phrase able-bodied cricketer. Um, so to, to get the opportunity as a broken down old hack, um, it was a lifelong dream come true. And, you know, I, on, we all had bad days and if, you know, I think back to those days and how much fun I had and just the, 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 the wonderful people I met and that's hands down the most fun I've ever had in sport, even though we got absolutely walloped. Um, it was, it was, it was, um, still, you know, one of the greatest things. One of, it was one of the things of bucket list type thing, mate. I'll, uh, I'll, yeah, uh, I'll, tre- I'll treasure that memory forever. I mean, hopefully there's another one coming up soon. Well, look, we're all fingers crossed that we can all get through the other side of this um, this COVID world, and then hopefully once we um, we all take our bloody injections and get the other side of it, we can start looking at trying to put something together. But, um, that would be absolutely that would certainly be worth going for. Actually, it's been a pleasure to talk to you today. Uh, one more question before we go, which I ask everyone who's been on: What's one piece of advice you'd give to someone facing a transplant? Buckle up. Um, it is hard. It, it is hard work. Don't let anyone tell you it's not hard work. But goodness me, it's it's so worth it. You get to the other side, um, and everyone everyone who's been through it says the same thing. It changes who you are as a human. It really focuses what's what what in your life is a priority and what you can just let go. Um, and it, the, the the lease on life it gives you, it, it's worth a fight. It's worth a fight. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Once you get through it, you, there's a newfound appreciation and gratefulness for life and just being here to, to see everything happening. True. Very true. Ashley, thank you so much for coming on. Listeners, if you're enjoying the podcast, uh, please make sure you subscribe or follow wherever you'd normally listen. That way, all new episodes go straight into your library on whichever app you use. 
and you won't miss any. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, that is, as I've said most weeks now, that is the most used app to listen to it on. Uh, there's a feature on there where you can rate it and review the podcast. If you give it five stars on there, that would mean a massive amount to me. And if you leave a review along with your five-star rating, I'll read them out at the end of the podcast. Uh, if you'd like to follow on social media, we've mentioned them before, Instagram and Facebook at Transplants Take on Sport Pod and Twitter at TTOS Pod. Uh, thank you very much for listening, as always. Thank you to my guest today, once again, Ashley Butcher. I've been Lewis Daniels, and you've been listening to Transplants Take on Sport. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.